All right, how is everyone? Good. All right, good deal. Well, my name is Isaac Escobar, and I'm one of the team members here at the Experience Community Church. It's great to be here with you this morning. I do have to address a couple of the uh, elephants in the room real quick. Uh, number one, I'm not 13 years old, so I'm going to put that out there. All right. Older than I look, apparently, is the boyish good looks, I guess. But I'm 31. I'm older than I look. Uh, the other thing is, my last name is Escobar, and uh, no relation to Pablo. All right. So I'm going to put that out there. Uh, Narcos fans might get that. If you don't know who Pablo Escobar is, don't Google it. All right. Save yourself some time. Don't, don't worry about it. So it is, it is great to be here, but I am new on staff at the church here. I've been working here since January, and I don't want to talk a lot about myself. I want to focus on the word. We're in 1 Timothy 5, but I do want to briefly tell you about myself just because I figure probably some people who don't know who I am and uh, don't, don't, know, don't know much about me. So I've been working here since January, and uh, I have a, about nine years of pastoral experience in ministry. Uh, I've, been, I've been pastoring for, for about the past nine years, and uh, in 2008, I met a guy named Greg Swords, and uh, you know him as Pastor Greg. Here's the executive pastor. He's a great mentor and a great friend. I met him while I was in college at Olivet Nazarene University. Uh, I I, I interned at a small little church in Illinois, got to know Greg, graduated college, went to Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. I was a volunteer pastor, an unpaid staff member at a small church there in Kentucky while I was in seminary. At the same time, I served in the Army National Guard as a chaplain candidate and a chaplain while I was going through seminary and I became a chaplain after seminary in the Army National Guard. I graduated from seminary. Uh, I have religious studies and a Master of Divinity degree. Basically, all that means is I have two unmarketable degrees. I can only work in a church, and uh, (laughs) it's pretty much my life. But I graduated from seminary, and I went and I pastored at a church in Illinois called Crossbridge, and I reunited with Pastor Greg. I worked with him on staff there. I was a campus pastor for three years. So we have a Woodbury campus here. If you didn't know that, we have a campus in Woodbury. So it's basically the Crossbridges equivalent of Josh Brooker. Better looking, I think, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a matter of opinion. <laughs> so I was a campus pastor for, for three years. And then I, I, when I, I left there, it was an incredible church, an incredible community. I left there to go active duty as an army chaplain full-time uh, in the army. It didn't work out according to my plan, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of pain and a lot of healing in my story. And I'd be glad to tell you more of my story. You just have to buy me lunch or breakfast or dinner. I don't discriminate meals, but uh, I'd love to, love to tell you more of my story. I'd be happy to. Um, just, just have to buy me a meal, and I'll, I'll tell you more. Other thing I want to address real quick, on a more serious note, right? So, so Pastor Corey uh, is not up here, right? You, you notice that. That's That's strategic. And I, and I get it. I've been on staff at other churches, and when the lead guy's not there, you kind of have this collective, oh, man, where's the lead pastor? You brought my friend. I brought, brought, brought a family member. I want to hear the lead guy, and I get that. But I want to reframe your thinking just really quick because we should celebrate when Pastor Corey's not up here. Not because we don't love Pastor Corey. He's an incredible lead pastor, an incredible teacher of the word, an incredible leader. But I want to reframe your thinking. In fact, 1 Timothy 4 is one of the best messages I've ever heard, and it's a really tough act to follow preaching this week. But I want to reframe your thinking really quick. We should celebrate when he's not up here, number one, because we don't want to be a church in a culture that is about a celebrity pastor, right? It's not about one guy. It's not about me either. It's not about any of the speakers, but it's about God's word. That's what we're about here at the Experience Community. We're not about one person. We're about God's word. The second reason why we should celebrate when when, when he's not up here is because it's very strategic with the, the church leadership and Pastor Corey to reproduce 
and pour into and multiply other teachers and preachers of God's word. We want to multiply everything in this place. It's the Jesus mission to multiply, mentor, and disciple. So I consider myself extremely grateful to be up here and speaking God's word. Pastor Corey spent time with me, coaching me, pouring into me, and I'm grateful to be up here as well. All right, enough about that. Let's move on and, and get into it. So last week, Pastor Corey preached on 1 Timothy 4, and the big idea is we must pay attention to how we live. If you, weren't, if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go back and watch Pastor Corey's message on 1 Timothy 4. It's an incredibly powerful message. He talked about we must pay attention to how we live. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of junk in our life, and it can distract us from the mission of God. There are literally souls on the line, and we need to pay attention. Today, the big idea is Christian communities like ours, right? We're, we're a Christian community. We should be a family. We should function like a family. All right, before I pray and, and, and jump into it, uh, when you came in, just a, little, a couple of housekeeping things. When you came in, you should have got a notes handout. Uh, in that notes handout, when you came in, has everything that I'm going to talk about. You can also download the Experience Community app. On there, you click on Services, Sermon Notes, and all the notes and everything I'm going to talk about is going to be in there and also on the screens as well, all right? I'm going to pray. We're going to jump, jump into it. First Timothy 5, which is in the back of your Bible, it's a letter of Paul in the very back of your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful to be able to speak through your word. And I pray, God, that, that, that people will not see me, but you. It'd be your word that transforms us and moves us this morning. God, hide me behind your cross. Hide me behind your word. And God, we pray for the other churches in our community, in our nation, in our world. We pray for their success, God, for, for their authenticity. We, we pray that we would be united to help people find their way to you, which is true peace and true love and true hope. And God, we pray for all the great nonprofits in our community, the work that they do in your name, nonprofits like Greenhouse Ministries, God, who are doing the work in your name to help people find their way to you, oh God. I'm so grateful for this community. God, I love you, and I know that you love us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Here we go. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. With all purity. Listen, 1 Timothy 5 is extremely practical. If you read through 1 Timothy 5, it is an incredibly practical chapter, but it's also highly contextual, right? Some things simply will not make sense when you read it because it was written 2,000 years ago, so some of the context doesn't make sense. Sometimes we forget that about the Bible, right? It's an ancient document, and, and sometimes things that we read simply do not make sense to our time and our culture. But it's an extremely straightforward and applicable chapter. Listen, we believe, right, the Word of God has timeless principles in it. It's God's Word, so there's timeless principles that transcend culture and time, and they transform us today. But here's the thing. The first two verses that we read, it kind of sets the tone for what the chapter is going to be all about. It's the lens in which we're going to look at 1 Timothy 5. So if you miss these first two verses, you've missed it. You've got to pay attention in these first two verses because it'll help us to illuminate the rest of the chapter. So Paul says that we should treat men like fathers and like brothers. He says we shouldn't talk down to men older than us, but we need to treat them with respect like a father. Now, there's some older men who are like, amen, preach it. 
That's right on. There's a lot of disrespect in our culture. Younger people don't respect older people, and we need to have respect for older men and treat them like fathers. But on the flip side, Paul says we are to treat younger men as our own brothers, right? We can't say, man, this younger generation, they're not respectful, they, they don't listen, but then we don't treat them like our own brothers. You see, if an older man gives advice, and I'm speaking to myself here because I consider myself a younger person, I'm only 31, right? If an older person gives advice to us younger people, we should listen. We should listen. You know, Pastor Greg, he's the oldest on staff, and so as a staff, we like to have a, a fun time, and we joke around, and we always give him a hard time about being the old man on staff. We always rib him. But here's the thing. Whenever Pastor Greg speaks in a meeting and he says something, we listen to him. We listen as a staff because he has something we don't. He has years of wisdom and experience. We should listen. We also need to protect and to look out for younger men in our community as our own brothers. When I was 15, I remember my brother and I went out to, to a baseball field. It may have been a softball field. I don't really remember, but we went out there and we were gonna throw the baseball together. I played baseball in high school and my brother, who was always bigger and faster and stronger, uh, I got kind of the genetic leftovers. He was always bigger and faster. I always looked up to him literally and figuratively. We were going out to throw the baseball together. And I remember sitting down on the field and I, I started to lace up my cleats and get my glove ready. Again, I was like 15 and, and these three guys, maybe a year or two older than me, and my brother was three years older, so he was about 18 years old at the time. But these three guys came up around me and they said, what are you doing? And I was like, well, uh, my brother and I were gonna throw the baseball. And they said, we were here first. We're here playing baseball. Go somewhere else. And my brother from the distance saw these guys hovering over and he beelined it over and he came up. He said, what's going on here? And they're like, we're here playing baseball and, and we were here first, so you guys will have to go somewhere else. Never, I'll never forget, my brother looked at them and said, what's your guys' names? And they began to tell their names and he said, I'm looking around this field here and I don't see any of your guys' names on the field. <laughs> he said, I think we'll be just fine here as well. And I began to well up with pride. And, and it was kind of one of those things where I was kind of behind my brother and I was like, yeah, you heard him. <laughs> the truth is, if we were to look out for younger men in our community like our own brothers, we'll protect them. There's a lot of junk in this world. There's a lot of temptation, sexuality, sexual addiction and substances, all sorts of things that tempt young men in our community, older men, older folks in this community. Look out, mentor and protect the younger men in our community. If you're not pouring into someone, giving advice to a younger man, look out for them like a brother. Paul also says we should treat women, and mothers, uh, women as mothers and as sisters. I think mothers should be the most respected people in our world. They should be some of the most respected and revered people in our world. I'll be married for 11 years in August. My wife and I uh, will be married and we have two kids. Uh, we've been married for 11 years, and we have two kids, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And listen, I get it. Dads, we, we work hard. We, we, we have a role, but I think a lot of the stuff rolls on the mother to do a lot of the hard work, taking care of the kids and making sure things are taken care of. They just won't let it fall through the cracks. I mean, think about this. Women, mothers, literally have to carry the children for nine months. They just naturally carry more of the load than dads do. We should respect them and revere them. So I think relating to women older than us in our community with the reverence and the respect of a mother should be a no-brainer. If we were to revere and, and respect older women like a mother, it should be a no-brainer. I've met very few people, 
that hate their mom. And don't, even people that have visited in jail, one time this guy got turned in by his mom and he was like, man, I'm just, I still love my mom. I'm so grateful for her. I've met very few people. So it should be a no-brainer the way we treat older women. If we treat them like mothers, we'll treat them with respect and reverence. Paul also says the way we view and talk to younger women, it also matters. He says, younger women must be treated with all purity, with all purity like a sister. Listen, our world objectifies and sexualizes younger women. That's just the reality of our culture and our world, and it shouldn't be so in the family of God. Listen, if you're a man in this place and you look at a younger woman, you have ulterior motives, you sexualize them, you're, 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 you're doing it for some sort of uh, pleasure of yourself and you don't view younger women as a sister, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong and not to be so in the family of God. Listen, I have a five-year-old daughter. I want her to grow up in this community, be a part of this place as a family and not have to worry about someone sexualizing or objectifying her as a young lady. We should view younger women like a sister. So if we're to love and care for others in the church, right? So Paul calls us to do, to care and love each other like our own fathers and our own brothers, our own sisters, right? Our own mothers. He's making an assumption when he makes that statement. He's assuming that you love and care for your family. In fact, verse eight, further down in 1 Timothy 5 says, those who don't care for their own relatives are worse than an unbeliever. You are not a Christ follower if you don't love and care for your family. You're not, that's just the reality of it. The world, hey, they cannot love and care for their family, but in the church and in the family, if you're following Jesus, you're supposed to care for your family. So I have to ask this morning, how is the relationship with your family? How is it? I get there's some circumstances you can't control in your family, I get that. But is there resentment? Is there unforgiveness? How is the relationship with your family? Because if you can't love your family, if you don't love your family, you, you can't love people here like family. Next section, three through 10, verses three through 10. It says this, again, Paul writing to Timothy and the community that he was in. He says, support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, she has brought up children, brought up her children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. Has devoted herself to every good work. Listen, a lot of people think this phrase is biblical. God only helps those who help themselves. A lot of people think that's, that's biblical. In fact, at one time in my life, I thought that was in the Bible. But you can search from Genesis to Revelation. It's not in there. That is not in there. In fact, Psalm 10:14 says this, the helpless one, the helpless one entrusts himself or herself to you, O God. You are a helper of the fatherless. 
Listen, the church, right, you and me, not, not this building, but you and me, the church, we are the body of Jesus Christ. We are the body, and we must be compelled to care for those who are in genuine need. It's us who has to care for people in genuine need. I remember when I was pastoring at Crossbridge, there's this incredible family. They're still there. Wonderful family and great friends of mine. They just love Jesus and love people. They own their own business in town. It's kind of a smaller town in Illinois where I pastored. And their business was known because they had high integrity and they cared for people. I remember one Sunday, the patriarch of that family, the guy who, who led the business, came up to me kind of in a panic. He's like, hey, pastor, I, I need to talk to you. There's something weighing heavy on my heart. I've got to talk to you about something. And, and, and whenever someone talks to a pastor, maybe it's just me, but I feel like I always think worst case scenario. I thought, oh no, I wonder what's wrong with this incredible guy who leads this incredible business with an incredible family. He's like, listen, I, I, I can't talk now. Let's talk during the week. I'll stop by the church. And I said, all right, stop by, man. And so a couple of days later, he stops by. And again, he kind of comes in with this like high anxiety. Like, I've got to tell you something. It's, it's weighing heavy on my heart. I just have to tell you. And I'm like, on with it, man. Tell me, like, what is it? So he begins to tell me, he says, listen, God has blessed my life, has blessed our business and blessed our family. We have an abundance. He said, if there's someone in the church who can't pay a bill, who, who, who's hurting, he said, please let me know, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. And at that point, I didn't know whether to punch him or hug him, because I, I thought, why the suspense, man? You could have told me that on Sunday. But honestly, here's the deal about that guy. He's following Jesus, and he was compelled to help people in need. If we're following Jesus and a part of the community, we must be compelled to help those in need. So this passage specifically talks about helping widows, right? It specifically talks about helping widows. And yes, here's the thing, as a church, we must help widows. It's a biblical command. But we have to understand about this context, widows were one of the most marginalized people in first century Rome. Even, in, even before that, in biblical times, if you didn't have a husband or a household 2,000 years ago, you were as good as dead. You were marginalized and not cared for. You were, you were considered trash. You had no value. The point is we are called to help the marginalized of our day, the people who say there's no value to that person, those who are homeless, those who are lonely, those who are addicted. Let me tell you, those who have an addiction, who deal with addiction, they're some of the most marginalized people. People think they got themselves in that situation. They can get themselves out. What's wrong with them? They're some of the most marginalized people, and we're called to help them and be there for them. So Paul provides for us kind of general principles, valuable principles to help anyone in need. And so we're going to look at and break down some of the principles that Paul talks about we should be helping, those who we should help, and how we should prioritize in the community, the marginalized amongst us. He says we should help those who are truly alone, those who have no family or no other options. We as a church, we as a, 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 a family of God should be helping people who are alone. We're supposed to help those who are unable to help themselves because of health or age. In fact, when it talks about not helping someone who, or helping someone who's over 60 years of age, they, 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 were, they were done because of their age. They couldn't remarry, they couldn't have a household, we should be helping people because of their health, and that includes mental health. We should help those and prioritize those who are devoted followers of Jesus. It talks about literally someone, the widows who pray day and night, night and day they're crying out to God. We're supposed to help those who are faithful to their spouse and children. Listen, if you're in need and you come to the church, absolutely come. But if someone comes to the church and they're in need and they can't pay a bill and they're hurting and, and they're cheating on their spouse and they're not taking care of their children, it's really hard for us to help as a family of God. In fact, we're not supposed to. 
We're supposed to help those who are known for the good they have done, those who humbly serve in the church family. It talks about widows who, who are washing the saints' feet. Talk about a humbling and dirty job, washing someone else's feet. Those who humbly serve and those who have given to help others who are afflicted in community, those who give. You know, when people come and, and they ask for help in the church, we, we ask, do you serve? Do you give? Are you a part of this place? And we don't ask that. Listen, we do not ask that because it's a quid pro quo thing. Like, oh yeah, you, you give to us, we'll give to you. That's not what it's about. But it's about following the biblical standard and understanding that they're a part of this family of God. Which leads me to the next part, which is accountability. Verses 11 through 16. Paul says, refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They're not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Let the church not be burdened. Listen, every good family has accountability. Every good church family has accountability. I was, after my eighth grade year, I had a very tumultuous upbringing, a very rough upbringing, very broken home. And after my eighth grade year, I ended up moving in with my aunt and uncle. Incredible Jesus followers, uh, just incredible people. I, I admire them, and they, they, they did an incredible job taking a kid from a broken home and, 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 and raising me. And I, I'll never forget when I moved in with them after my eighth grade year, my uncle picked me up from a friend of the family's, put all my stuff in the trunk and in the back of the car, and we began, we began to drive to their house. And as we were driving, he began to tell me about their allowance system that they have in their house. All my cousins had moved out at that point. I was the youngest and only one be, that would be living there. I said, hey, we have an allowance system in our household, and here's how it works. I said, at the beginning of the month, I'm going to write you a check for $67. I don't know why it's $67. I, I, I've never asked, but they just gave me a check at the beginning of the month for $67. And he said, here's the deal. All the things that you want, all your wants, you've got to provide for yourself, any clothes or uh, entertainment, We'll provide for all your needs, your, your roof over your head, your meals, but you have to provide for the things that you want. Now, here was the deal with the allowance system as he was telling me about it. He said, at the end of the month, you take all your money, all that you spent, and you have to account for all your $67, your receipts and your bank account. I said, you have to account for it. So if I was short at the end of the month, say I was $10 short, guess what? The next month, I got $57 until I got it all right at the end of the month. Now, some people think, that's a little intense. Like, it's a very intense system. But here's what it taught me. It taught me accountability for the money that we had. It taught me to manage my money into budget. It taught me that there's accountability when it comes with help. So Paul lays out criteria for who we're supposed to help as a church family. But he also makes clear there are some people we should not help. Now listen to this. That's why, that's why it's in yellow, right? That's why this point is, is in yellow. Support with accountability is true love. Support with accountability is actual love. You see, if we helped everyone without criteria, we wouldn't really be helping anyone in our community. So here's kind of some of the things Paul lines out for who we're not supposed to help. It says those who have family that can support them. 
We would literally be robbing people of their biblical duty to care for their own family if we took care of people who their families should be taking care of them. We also are not supposed to help those who live for their own pleasures. This is a big one. If someone comes to the church and they're living high on the hog and man, they got the best of the best and a brand new car and, and, and all the bells and whistles in their life and they say, man, I can't, I can't pay my bills. I'm, I'm coming up short. It's really hard for us as a church, especially with, with a lot of the mediocrity that, that a lot of the staff lives with. It's really hard for us as a church to help. In fact, we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to help those who are spiritually dead. Those who might say, man, I don't, I don't, I don't want your Jesus. I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't really care about your community, but I really need some help right now. We're not supposed to help those who are spiritually dead. We're not supposed to help those who gossip or cause trouble or those who can work and provide for themselves. In fact, when it talks about younger widows, it's the idea that they could remarry. They, 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 could, they could find a footing in their context to remarry and to have a household. We're not supposed to provide for people who can do it, but refuse to and who won't. The idea of laziness. Listen, family rules help us to focus. So Paul tells Timothy, this is an important line in that text, let the church not be burdened with requests. Let the church not be burdened with requests. We must have order and criteria in the church. Little, little theology lesson, right? The, how we think and believe about God, right? Small little theology lesson. God is a God of order, right? The God of the universe who slung the stars in the sky and ordered the universe and ordered our minds and ordered our bodies. God is a God of order and his church should be no different. His church should have order and criteria. So here's how it works in our church at the Experience Community. We prioritize who we help. We prioritize who we help in this community. Now listen, I feel like I, I, I have to say this. I, even just hearing feedback from folks, it doesn't mean that anybody can't ask for help. I, absolutely, I think the church is one of the first places you should go. No matter who you are, the church is one of the first places you should go to ask for help. But just know we prioritize who we help. If, there, if there's five people in need and asking for help, we're, we're, we're first gonna take the person who's a part of the community and serving and giving to others and, and a part of this place and contributing. We prioritize who we help in this community. We also have a process. If someone's in need and they come to, to our outreach director, Travis, he'll have them fill out a benevolence request form. And he asks tough questions like, do, do you have a budget? Which I really don't think it's that tough of a question. I think we all should have some sort of basic budget. But we'll ask, do you have a budget? What's your job like life? What's your job life like? What's your family like? And listen, we don't ask those questions because we want to beat people up or, or rattle them. We want to get to know them and, 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 and know them at a deeper level to love them and help them in a better way. Listen, order helps us to focus on the mission. Here's our mission, to make authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. We cannot be deterred from that mission. We must have order and criteria to focus on the mission. All right, next part, 17 through 19. You guys still with me here? Still with me this morning? All right. It says this. It says, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. 
Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. We should honor those who lead our families, right? We should honor those who lead our families. Now, in, 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 in what I just read in, in verse 17 and 19, it uses this word elders. And it's the same exact Greek word for, for what's used at the beginning of the chapter for, for the word older men. It's the same older men we're supposed to treat like fathers. So essentially, Paul is saying, listen, leaders of the church, spiritual parents, we should treat them as parents. So whether it is our parents or spiritual parents, we ought to honor them as we honor our father and mother. And one of the ways in which we honor church staff or church leadership is through pay. We honor leaders through pay. Now, here's the deal. People who, who, who I've heard this before, people who don't come to church or are maybe sort of skeptical of, of, of what we do in the name of Christ, say, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's, it's a gimmick. You ask people to give and the pastors live high on the hog. That's how it works, right? Let me tell you, especially in this place, I can't speak for other churches or other contexts, but we're, we're very transparent and very open about our finances here. You can go to a vision service and, and you can hear about our finances. You can ask about it. We're very open. And let me tell you, just being a part of other churches and other places, our pastors and our staff don't make a lot. In fact, it's not biblical. It should not be excessive pay. Listen to, listen to the image that Paul uses when talking about honoring leaders with pay. He says, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Think about that image for a second, right? This hard work of treading out the grain. He says, just don't muzzle the ox, right? So what does that mean? Just, just take the muzzle off while it's working hard. Allow the ox to eat while it's working. Just allow it to eat. That's it. We honor leaders by paying them enough to eat and for their family to eat. It should not be excessive. We don't believe in, 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 in pastoral staff to making uh, a lot of money and living high on the hog. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. We also honor our leaders by not entertaining undue accusation, by not listening to, to gossip and false claims and slander. Now I say this next comment, I, I'm not fishing for comments or feedback or pats on the back. I'm not, it's just a reality. Pastors and church leaders face a lot of pressures. Pastors and church leaders face a lot of pressures. When I was in high school, growing up with, with my aunt and uncle, my uncle served on the church board at, our, at the church that we attended, small little community church. A pastor was an incredible pastor, high integrity, great leader, loved people, and loved people so much. He was at that church for about 16, 17 years when, when I started going there in high school. And the church had grown over those 16, 17 years from, from 30, 40 people to about 200. Now, some people might think, ah, oh, it's not that impressive. But he sent out multiple people, 10, 10, 11 people to go into ministry. He sent families out to go and start other churches and other works. He was an incredible leader. And while we were there, the church had grown so much that, that they were looking to build a new building. They were like, man, we're kind of growing out of, out of space here. We need to build a new building. So the church board and, and the pastor decided and voted on, 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 on building a new building in the community. So they, they got a recommendation, the church board got a recommendation, and, and they vetted the recommendation, and then they, they paid a down payment to, to, to this guy to build this church. A couple weeks before they're supposed to break ground, they couldn't get a hold of the builder. Couldn't get a hold of him, couldn't get a hold of him. Church board, everyone, this guy went AWOL. Turns out the guy took the, the, the couple hundred thousand dollar payment and skipped town, and the church never got built. Then the accusations and the gossip and the slander started to fly. Pastor didn't know what he was doing. He's a terrible leader, terrible pastor. What was he thinking? Even my uncle, who's on the church board, this, this board has no idea what they're doing. This guy's lost their mind. 
Listen, pastors and church leaders face a ton of pressures. Some days you, you, wish, you wish, man, I wish I could just note that I've accomplished something. People, it's never ending as a pastor and as a leader. Now here's the deal. It doesn't mean leaders are above scrutiny. That's not what that means. But we should be very careful how we give feedback and, 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 and how we scrutinize leaders in the church. Now here's the thing. If there are two or three people who are noticing something, say something. If I'm hanging out with a woman who's not my wife and I'm spending a lot of time with her and people are noticing it, say something, absolutely. If I'm out in the community with you and I'm a jerk to the waiter and waitress and people are noticing that, say something. We are not above scrutiny, but we need to be very careful of how we give feedback and talk about leaders, not just in the church, but anywhere, honestly. Last part, clarity, 20 through 25. It says this, Publicly rebuke those who sin, so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Cannot remain hidden. Listen, healthy families and healthy church families have balance and transparency. Listen, a lot of church families, a lot of church families and families, some of you know quite well, right? Some of you can attest to it. A lot of families have hidden issues, things we don't talk about, junk that lies underneath. But we want to be a biblical church, a church that brings issues out into the open, that's transparent and that's honest. You see, God's intention for humanity is that we be clear about our lives. That's his intention for creation. Look at Genesis 2, 25. It says, the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. What does that mean? They, they, they were happy in their nudist colony and, and, and just were great. I'm good to go, being naked. That's not what that means, right? The man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. It means they had nothing hidden. There was no junk. There was no sin. There was nothing that they were hiding. They literally felt no shame because they were clear about their lives. They had a pure heart and pure mind. And that's God's intention for his people and his community. So Paul charges Timothy, says, with heavenly authority, practice these things. Practice this balance. Practice this transparency. You see, balance creates clarity in communities. So Paul mentions several things to Timothy, to Timothy here. It's kind of rapid fire as you read that. It's like really quick. He mentions a couple of things and they all require balance. He says, hold people accountable without prejudice. Without prejudice. We're not supposed to condemn and judge and, and, and have prejudice against people. But listen, how do we do that? How do we hold people accountable without prejudice? It's through God's word. Hey, if God's word says it's right, it's right. If God's word says it's wrong, it's wrong. We hold people accountable without prejudice. And the Bible guides us to do that. He also says, don't show favoritism. Even the way we help people, we shouldn't show favoritism to one person or the other. This next one's a huge one. Don't be too quick to appoint leaders. Listen, there's a lot of people in our, in our community that, hey, I, I would love to lead a life group or, or I'd love to teach. I, I would love to, 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 to be a part of this place. But we have a process. 
We don't just throw someone right into leadership. We, we want people to be a part of this place, to serve and to give, to be a part of it, because we're not supposed to be too quick to appoint leaders. Paul even says, use a little bit of wine. There might be some health benefits, health benefits for, for using wine, but use a little bit. Have balance. He's not, he didn't say, hey, party it up, have a bunch of wine, live it up. He said, use a little bit of wine. Listen, we must have high standards without subscribing to legalism. I've only been here for, for, for seven months, but I've learned pretty quickly in this place. We have high standards, but we're not legalistic, right? We don't stop people at the door and have a checklist of all the things you're supposed to do for the week. We, we don't monitor everyone and say, man, this, you need to do this. We don't beat people up. We're not a legalistic place, but we also must have high standards. And I think that takes balance in community. It takes balance. Church families also do not cover up sin. Timothy, Timothy was told by Paul, he said, publicly rebuke those who sin. It's a really strong statement, isn't it? It's a really strong statement. Publicly rebuke those who sin. I kind of, I wrestled with this text as I was reading through this and studying it. I thought, what does that mean? What does it mean to publicly rebuke those who sin? And this is kind of how my mind works. I have kind of a weird uh, mindset. And, and, and in my head, I was thinking, do we you know, get Spencer and the video arts team to, to go out with his photography team and take pictures of people in the community, go to people's houses and catch people in sin and just taking pictures of everyone, right? And then the next week, we just put everyone's picture up and just scroll through like all the pictures, right? Just publicly rebuke everything that, that people have done wrong throughout the week. That's not what that means, right? The word public that's used is this idea that, that issues be brought into the open. It should be public, what we talk about. We want to be a community that talks about issues, that talks about sin. We're okay with talking about things that are wrong in our culture. We'll call out racism. We'll call out when, when, when people live together and aren't covenant in relationship before they're married. We'll talk about it. We'll bring issues out into the open. We're not afraid to. We shouldn't as a church. Second, that, that the Greek word that, that says those who sin, in the Greek, it literally means those who continue to sin, those who continue in sin. See, a healthy community will denounce continual arrogant sin. Man, if you're gonna say, hey, I'm just gonna keep on sinning, I don't care, I'm just gonna continue to do it my way, we're supposed to call it out. And we're supposed to live a life of transparency. So how do we do that? How do we live a life of transparency? Well, Paul says, don't share in the sins of others. Seems pretty simple, right? I told you at the beginning, it's a very practical chapter. Don't share in the sins of others. Now, here's the deal about that, what Paul says. He didn't say, don't hang out with sinners. Don't be around people who are different from you, who don't agree with you. That's not what he's saying. Jesus himself sat with tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with people who were different than him. Paul's just saying, don't share in the sins. Don't share in the sins of others. And keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Let me tell you from personal experience, there's nothing like having a pure heart and a pure mind. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like having this pure heart and pure mind with nothing clouding you, no, no sin entangling you. There's nothing like having a pure heart and a pure mind. Listen, whether we live pure lives or not, whether we live pure lives or not, whether you're living for Jesus or not, Eventually, who you really are will come to the top. Good or bad. I mean, it sounds really ominous. It sounds really bad. But it can be good or bad. Man, if you're living life and you're living on mission, eventually who you are, people will see it. Eventually, you will be seen for who you really are, good and bad. 
So we might as well live transparent lives now because God sees us anyway. God knows your heart. God knows your mind. There's no hiding from him. When I was in high school, again with my aunt and uncle, I was 16 years old. I didn't have my license yet. My aunt and uncle, they went on vacation to Mexico. And they left my cousin, who was five years older than me, kind of in charge to look after me. Uh, he didn't live with us, but he was supposed to check in on me every, every evening and make sure I was going to school and doing all that I was supposed to do. And I had this grand idea, because I didn't have my license yet, I had this grand idea that when my parents were gone, I was just going to take the car and uh, take it to and from school and hang out. I thought, I'll get away with it, no big deal. I, I thought about all the ways I was going to cover my bases. I thought about the odometer, where the car was parked, where the keys went. I thought about all these things that covered all my bases. When my parents came home from, from Mexico, maybe a day or two later, they, they called me in the living room, and I was completely blindsided because I had no idea what we were going to talk about. We didn't really have family meetings, but I thought, well, I'm open. What do we got here? And they said, sit down. So we know that you drove the car all week. My heart sank. And here's, here's the selfish mind of a 16-year-old kid. I wasn't really contrite. In my head, I just kept thinking, how did they find out? That's all I wanted to know. How did they find out? And so after they told me, I try to act really contrite, and I ask, so how did, how did you guys find out? And they said, your cousin told us. And I thought, how did he find And listen, my cousin wasn't even the most moral person. You know? He wasn't even like a good kid. And I thought, man, he turned me in. But it drove me nuts. I want to know, how did, he, how did he find out? And so I had to ask him. I was like, man, like, you got me. But uh, how did you know? Like, what, what happened? Did someone see me? I thought I'd cover all my bases. Now, this is January in Michigan, right? January in Michigan. <laughs> and he said, Isaac, you literally left tracks in the snow coming in and out of the garage. I literally forgot to cover my tracks in the snow. <laughs> we can't hide who we are. We can't. Eventually, people will see. You can try to cover all your bases. You can try to hide, but people will eventually know what you're all about. Here it is. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. I believe this. Our world longs for family. Our world longs for it. Our world longs for acceptance and love. And it longs for it. And a lot of us don't even experience in our own homes. We, we have broken homes and, and, and things sometimes aren't even our fault. We long for family. So I have to ask, and I hope you take these questions to heart. Do you see this community as a family? Do you see this place as a family? Do you view people like your own family members? Do you, do, do you view younger women as, as your own sister? Do you look at them with all purity? Do you look at younger men like your brothers? Do you, do you look out for them and care for them? Do you have reverence for older women and older men? Do you view people like your own family? Or is this just another thing you do on a weekend? You check the box, I'm here, I'm good, I left, I'm back to my life. Or is this place a family? You see, you see the way we view people affects how we treat them. It affects how much we'll do for them, how far we'll go, how much we'll love them. The way we view people affects what we'll do for them and how we'll treat them. See, the more we grow like Jesus, the more selfless we should become. Do you contribute? Do you contribute to the care of others? 
Listen, when you give to this place, you're not giving to keep the lights on or to a building. You're giving to nonprofits like Greenhouse. You're giving to benevolence. You're giving to people in this community. Do you contribute to the care of others? Do you serve? Do you serve? Do you serve others as your own brothers and sisters in community? When I see people passing out bulletins or getting the coffee ready, I don't just see them as doing community service or doing a nice thing. I see them as family serving family, serving each other in community. Do you serve in this place? Another free theology lesson, right? It's two. You guys owe me two free theology lessons. God himself, God incarnate, right? This is Jesus speaking. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If God himself comes to serve and to give, so should we. And this is it. This is where I want to hang. We want to be a transparent community. We want to be a transparent community. I think it was my second or third week here. In my mind, this is kind of how I work. I'm, I'm, I'm driven. I really want to succeed. And sometimes it can be a, a really unhealthy balance because I, I, I'm, I'm driven and I want to do the best and be my best. And so my second or third week here, I scheduled a meeting with Pastor Greg and Pastor Corey. I said, listen, what are all the things I need to do to succeed here? How can I be my best? What does success look like in six months? What does failure look like? Let me know. I came into Corey's, Pastor Corey's office and, and I had a little notepad and a pen. I was like, give it to me. I want to know all the things. He was like, two things. And I was like, two things? I, I've got a list here. I'm ready to, ready to write down all that I need to do to be successful. He said, just two things. Number one, be a team player. I said, got it. I can be a team player. I've played sports. I know what it's like to be a team player. Got it. Good. All right, what's next? I said, number two. He said, listen, if you mess up. And this is not what I was expecting. I was expecting a whole, you know, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. He said, listen, number two, if you mess up. Man, if you sin or you have some brokenness, if, if you fail, just tell me, I won't fire you. Just tell me. Just come and talk to Pastor Greg. Come talk to me. He said, now if you're sinning and we find out and you're living in arrogant sin, that's a different story. But he said, if you tell someone, you confess, you, you, you haven't done it all right. So just tell us, I won't fire you. I'll do what I can to help you and be here for you. And you know what that communicated to me about this culture and this place here at the experience? You know what it said to me? This place is a family. This place is a family. Listen, if you can't admit your sin here, if you can't admit your brokenness, your hurt, and your pain here, where can you? Where can you? You're not going to go to the library and talk to the li librarian about your sin, right? You're not going to go to the grocery store and in line just start confessing everything. She'd be like, uh-uh, next customer, not today. I'm not dealing with this, right? Where can you go? Where can you go to talk about your brokenness and your sin and your hurt and your pain if you can't do it here in the church, Listen, there's gonna, be there's gonna be people up here to pray. Every week we have people to pray, pray with folks. Pastor Dave is up here on my right and your left. If you come and you talk to someone today, you come and pray with someone, you talk to Pastor Dave, you're not gonna be beat up or pushed away or kicked out. It's not gonna happen. That's not how our culture works. What you'll find is authentic love that challenges you to change. I once heard, said, I once heard it said like this, God loves you right where you're at but he loves you far too much to leave you that way. He loves you far too much to leave you that way. Will you pray with me this morning? Before we pray, there's a couple of things that I want you to know. 
There are people who are up here to pray with you. If you have something in your life, maybe it's not even a sin or some, some junk that you're hiding. Maybe it's just the fact that, that man, I haven't been in on this community. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to take that next step, and, and I would love to serve. Come and pray with someone. Talk to someone about it. On my right, your left, is Pastor Dave up here. He's an incredible pastor, has a humble heart for people. If you have some questions, you're not sure what it even means to follow Jesus, you're kind of confused about this whole family of God thing, come and talk with him. Maybe there's something you're struggling with, come and talk to him. He'll help walk with you and, and help you figure out some next steps. And the last thing is, all around the room on, on the tables, there's a lamp and there's communion on, on those tables. There's, there's no better picture of a family of God as we take the meal together, communion. The blood and the body of Christ is what it represents. And the only thing we ask, everyone is welcome to take communion together as a family, but the only thing that we ask is you've asked for, for forgiveness of your sins, and you're in a committed, growing relationship with Jesus. You're part of the family, you're part of the place, you're part of the community of God. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I am grateful that you love us, and yet you challenge us. You, challenge us. you love us too much to let us sit idle. God, I pray if there is someone here today, I pray if there is someone who's hiding something, they have the shame and the junk, I pray that they'll know that they're loved and accepted here, but we wanna challenge them and help them to grow. I pray they'll be open about talking with someone. God, they won't be pushed away. It's not who you are, but they'll be loved. God, help us to grow. I pray that it'll be your word that transforms us and goes with us as we leave this place. I pray all these things in your name, amen. Amen. God bless.